And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. I'm Ian Mendes alongside Sean McAdoo. Ahead on this episode, we'll look back at Tuka Rask's mental gaffe that fortunately did not come back to bite the Boston Bruins. We'll heat up a big old bag of popcorn, check in on the soap opera that is the Columbus Blue Jackets these days. Ron Hextall takes over in Pittsburgh, which has us thinking about how many times a hated player has taken over an arch-rival's franchise jesse granger drops by for granger things we chat about the over-unders in the national hockey league in the first month of the season we'll get into the mailbag and this week in hockey history we look back at theo Fleury's unbelievable night for the calgary flames as we kick off this show sean i gotta tell you uh we got some big shoes to fill here because lebron and burnside uh you know in this space on wednesday they had jason spezza on this show we we, we do want to encourage our listeners, check out, if you did not hear, uh, Burnside and LeBron in conversation with one of my all-time favorite guys to cover in Jason Spezza. Uh, check it out. Um, it was uh, Wednesday's podcast. I got to ask you, too. Like, look, I, Ottawa fans are super conflicted on Jason Spezza, right? Like, he's he is, you know, I think at this stage of the game, people look back, realize how good we had it in Ottawa with Jason Spezza. Like, how do Leaf fans look at, at Jason Spezza as being part of that team? Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they're 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 loving it right now because he's playing fantastic. Uh, he was he was good last year, given the expectations, given the role that he was playing. But uh, the 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 numbers he's putting up this year so far have been uh, have been excellent. And I mean, as far as the Senators' connection, I feel like he is a guy that doesn't really associate with the rivalry. Like he did arrive in Ottawa around that time that they, the battle of Ontario was raging in the playoffs, but uh, because of, of Jacques Martin and because of, uh, he was a younger guy, he didn't really have big roles. So I I don't think there's, there's too many Leaf fans that uh, hold out any, uh, any bitterness towards him. He was certainly part of those teams after the lockout where there was, there was a few years there where every time the senators played the Leafs in the regular season, the senators would win eight to nothing. And, uh, Jason Spezza and that that top line would uh, would be on the ice for six of the goals, but uh, I think we can forgive and forget that because uh, and Leaf fans didn't like those Leaf teams either, so they were okay with it. Yeah, I want I, I want to say Jason Spezza maybe played in two playoff games against the Leafs, maybe in in '04, but that might be it. Like mm-hmm. uh, you're right, he wasn't really a, a huge factor uh, back in the day. But Spezza in the Leafs, uh, Sean, I think a lot of us were looking at the game Wednesday night, circling it, thinking, here we go. A uh, couple of games, Montreal, Toronto, battle of the heavyweights in the, in the, uh, the North division, the Leafs win this one. Here's my question for you. And by the way, congratulations to you with the, the, what you were doing there with your little, uh, jinx with the Habs, uh, with your, yeah, <laughs> it worked, worked perfectly. Yeah, it put, worked the, perfectly. put the Habs ahead of the Leafs in the power rankings and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. It played out exactly like you said. 
Uh, is there, should there be legitimate concern? If you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, um, they, they play Ottawa last week. They didn't look great. They split, they lose to Toronto. Is there a little bit of a, you know, are we seeing a little bit of vulnerability in a team that we thought was so dominant 10 days ago? I mean, I, I, I don't think there should be any panic. I, I think that if your conclusion a week ago was that this was a team that was going to play 750 hockey for the whole season, then yeah, maybe you're you're concerned about the fact that they're they're losing to teams that you think they should beat because if you're going to play at that level, you should be beating just about everybody. And I mean, I don't think realistically that's what we thought this Montreal team was going to be. Uh, I don't think that's realistically what we should think this Toronto team is going to be. And they're going to go through this at, at some point. I already saw somebody say that, you know, they, they play the Habs again on Saturday night. Uh, and then they play Ottawa three in a row. I mean, we could all see the big win over the Habs on Saturday coming, followed by the letdown against Ottawa. That that stuff's going to happen over uh, over the course of a, a season, even a short one like this. So, I, I mean, I didn't see anything from Montreal watching that game last night where I thought, ah, yeah, you know what? These guys are a mirage. This, this These guys have been exposed. The Leafs are showing us the, the blueprint of how to beat them. I saw two pretty evenly matched teams. I think you could make a case that Montreal was was the better team for for the first period, and maybe maybe uh, both of the first two periods. And then Toronto, being Toronto, they do have the ability to to flip a switch and generate some quick offense, and and that's what happened uh, in the third period last night. Wasn't the usual suspects doing it, but uh, it, you know you're going to lose some games over the course of a year, and uh, you know I, it, patience isn't really a Montreal market uh, thing. But you got to have a little bit of patience here. I mean, you, you knew you were going to lose two out of three at some point in the season. Well, you know, it's it's funny you bring up that word patience, and that's not really a thing in any Canadian market. And you know, the, you, you got to help. You got to walk me through this here, okay? The Maple Leafs are first overall in the standings. They've lost two games in regulation time, and yet nobody seems happy with the way they're playing. Like, what's going yeah. on here? Is this like I I just I'm having a hard time out of like you know out of the market, not quite following them. Like, why are Leafs fans so upset that their team is in first place overall? What am I missing here? I don't know that they're that they're upset. I, there's two things going on here. First of all, when you look at it, and if you're the sort of fan who, who looks at some of the underlying numbers, they suggest that this Leafs team has been good, but not amazing. James Myrtle had a really good breakdown on The Athletic where he, he went through some of the numbers. And, and basically what's happening with this Leafs team is they are completely deadly on the power play. Uh, you you cannot take penalties against this team because they're they're hitting forty percent on the power play. But you you know that that is not going to continue. Even as much talent as they have, as, as ridiculous as uh, as they can be, when especially when they load up one unit, uh, you're not going to be forty percent all year. So you know that's going to come down. You tend to look at five on five, and five on five, the Leafs have been fine. They haven't been great, and they they haven't been a team that's putting up the sort of numbers that would make you think that, yeah, this is going to be a first-place overall team. So that's part of it. The fans who look at that stuff are, are sort of seeing a few warnings on the dashboard that, that the record might be a little bit misleading. The bigger thing is that the Maple Leafs are, this year, the classic team where it does not matter what they do in the regular season. They they can go, they could have gone 56-0, and they can finish first overall, they can finish first in the division. It's not going to matter until they get to the playoffs. Very similar to what we, I mean, Tampa would have been the same thing last year, right? You, you were sitting there going, they got to do it in the playoffs. If the Leafs finish first in the division and then lose in the first round, this season is a disaster and there will be consequences and there will be probably some, some major moves made. And if they finish fourth, but they win a couple of rounds, great. That's the progress you want to see. This, this team is all about what they do in the playoffs and what they don't do in the playoffs and what they can avoid the, the sort of meltdowns we've seen in the past. So uh, I think even the Leaf fans who might tend to be more on the optimistic side and more on the plan the parade side of, uh, of that Leaf spectrum, they're not getting too excited right now because none of this matters if they don't win at least a round in the playoffs and probably two. So let me paint a scenario for you. Let's say Toronto comes out of the North Division and we know that uh, the way that they're going to do this this year, Sean, is that... Uh, there's a potential you could play anybody in that conference final and then into the Stanley Cup. Yes or no, do you take Toronto-Boston Stanley Cup? Do you, like, does that excite you? Does that scare you to death? 
What does that do for you as a Leaf fan? Toronto, Boston, yeah, Stanley it, Cup final. The answer is yes to all of your questions. That that, yes. that would scare me to death, and uh, that that's I I would be more than happy if somebody else could take care of the Boston Bruins uh, for the Leafs uh, along the way. But at the same time, I mean, you know what? When you've got that that team that you just can't beat. Sometimes you you just got the only way out is through. You got to beat that team to put an end to it. I, I mean, you know, you look at the, uh, the the Senators being an example. Could never beat that Leafs team. Wouldn't you have wanted in one more crack? Wouldn't you have wanted to be able to say, you know, it, I, it always felt like, especially in in like the two thousand two two thousand four teams, where you're like, if this is the year they beat the Leafs, there's no stopping them. They will get over that hurdle and they'll get past it. And we've seen examples in. Uh, in the NHL, in other sports, where it's like you gotta you gotta slay the dragon, you gotta get past them. Um, but man, going into the Stanley Cup final, that would be uh, th- that would be rough because I'll, I'll tell you, if if the Leafs make the Stanley Cup final, you you want to talk about optimism, you want to talk about happy Leaf fans. It, the, it, it, we will be unbearable going into that. But then to go up against Boston and and hockey, gods forbid, if it all happened again and there was another collapse, it, that would be the one thing. That would just, if you're a fan of another team, that's what you're hoping for because there's no funnier outcome than the Leafs finally making the Stanley Cup final and then blowing a 4-1 lead against the Boston Bruins in Game 7 again and everybody makes fun of them for for the rest of eternity. Yeah. Hey, listen, speaking of the Bruins, uh, their netminder, Tuka Rask, uh, made the rounds on Wednesday, Sean, with a bizarre sequence in their game against the Rangers. So if in case uh, you know our listeners didn't catch that game or haven't seen the highlight, it's the final minute of the game in regulation time, third period. Um, Tuka Rask leaves his net. And you often see this in the end of a game when a team is trailing by a goal or two. They pull the goalie. He he leaves. They put the extra attacker on. The only problem was the game was tied. Uh, Tuka Rask uh, either just didn't look at the scoreboard or did, didn't know what was going on. He tried to make some jokes in this postgame uh, about it. But he left. And luckily... Yeah. It didn't come back to bite the Boston Bruins because if imagine if the Rangers had gained possession, put the puck in the empty net, we would be uh, we would be talking about this in uh, in a much different way. But it got me thinking, Sean, because I think when you think of other sports, you can automatically think of these, and we'll call them brain cramp moments, where the athlete, for whatever reason, just doesn't think. Right? Like I think of J.R. Smith in basketball. Uh, you know, remember a couple of years ago with LeBron with the meme, like, what are you doing? I can't yep. believe you just did that. Or Chris Webber calling the timeout. Uh, Jim Marshall, there's a great clip of the old uh, Vikings player, picks up a fumble, runs the wrong way. Larry Walker in baseball makes it out, I think in right field at Dodgers Stadium, mm-hmm. hands the ball to a kid. And meanwhile, there's it, the game's still going on because there's only two out. Like, yep. So I guess my question is, like Tuka Rask yesterday, like that's an ultimate brain cramp. Like, like, what are we talking about here? Like, let, let's try to put this in context in terms of other brain cramps in hockey history, because I, I'm having a hard time thinking of some right off the top of my head. Yeah, so there are a few. I'll, uh, let me let me give you a few, and and so you can tell me if these fall into the brain cramp category or if they're more just kind of everyday mistakes. I'll, I'll start with the recent one: Brad Marchand whiffing on the shootout. Uh, just leaving the oh, puck yeah. at center ice. I mean, we've seen guys go in and make bad moves, have pucks hop over sticks, but yeah. to actually line up and just you know nudge the puck half an inch uh, to negate your attempt, uh, I would put that there. Um, one that, uh, that 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 jumps to mind, and it was it felt a little bit more serious at the time, although it didn't uh, ultimately turn out too badly. But you remember Keith Ballard? swinging his stick in frustration oh, and man, on cranking his own goaltender. Yeah, Thomas Vokun in the head. Oh. Uh, it just, you know, one of those where it's, it's like, I mean, how, do, how does that even happen? Um, if, if there's a brain cramp Hall of Fame, I think Patrick Waugh might be in it because I can, I've got two Patrick Waugh ones. One is the famous the hot, Statue hot of Liberty goal. Yeah, where, yeah, he, hot dog, yeah. where he thinks he has the puck in his hand and, he's, yeah. and he goes to hot dog and the puck is sitting right there and Brennan Shanahan pokes it in, which was... A, a crucial goal in a, in that playoff series. I mean that that was uh, that that helped turn a series around. Uh, the other one with Patrick Waugh, which was nowhere near as serious, but makes me laugh every time, is uh, the time that he just took the puck and stick handled out the center ice and deked around Wayne Gretzky, which you can't do. It's an automatic penalty to go across center ice. Maybe he didn't know that was a penalty, but the fact that he was even just like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to deke out Wayne Gretzky here. It's it's almost like Patrick. Do you remember that you were a goaltender? But my all-time favorite, 
And I, I have no, I have, I feel no guilt in having a laugh at this guy's expense because this guy's getting way too much positivity these days. We're all pumping his tires. We did it. I think on last week's show, we talked about how great this guy is. Mark Bergevin in the 2000 oh, playoffs. Yeah. Blues against Sharks. He's playing defense for the St. Louis Blues, and there is a, a rebound. A puck comes up in the air, and Mark Bergevin catches the puck, which you're not allowed to do, throws the puck, which you're also not allowed to do, but throws it directly into his own net. And it's just one of those things. If you've never seen it, look it up on YouTube. 2000 Blues Sharks, Mark Bergevin. Uh, it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see because nobody knows what just happened. Like it's, it's literally there. The play is going on something. There's a shot and suddenly the puck is in the net and nobody even knows it's there. The announcers don't know. The goalie doesn't know that the referee (laughs) takes a while to figure out that the puck is in there and then nobody can figure out how it got in. And the only two people who know are Mark Bergevin because he's the guy who threw it into the net. And if you watch the replay, Chris Pronger sees the whole thing unfold. And he has the funniest reaction because he doesn't stick around. He doesn't comfort anyone. He doesn't say anything to the goalie. He doesn't say anything to Bergevin. He just leaves. He just like total disgust. Like I'm a head out and he just heads to the bench and says nothing to anybody. It's one of the funniest um, plays and, and bloopers that I've ever seen. And, and that would be number one on my brain cramp list because, dude, how, how do we've seen guys have own goals that are accidents or sloppy plays, but to grab a puck and throw it directly into your own net in a playoff game. Uh, I think that's an all-timer. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, those are great. Yeah. yeah. Those are perfect examples of, again, like, cause I don't know that hockey necessarily, maybe the pace of the game, it doesn't lend itself to mental mistakes as much yeah. as the other sports, right? Like baseball, you can think of base running blunders or right. Like Lonnie mm-hmm. Smith getting tricked by, I think it was like a young Chuck Knobloch in the world series. Like, like you, like on the other sports, like there's these, there's like a pace to it that, lends itself to mental mistakes and hockey doesn't. So that's great. Would you put Marty McSorley using an illegal stick? Is that like, is that a brain cramp or not? I don't, I don't think that one is because especially back then, everybody did that. Everybody was using illegal sticks all the time. And it wasn't that, uh, that you didn't use it. It was that nobody ever called you on it. So that was kind of uh, the sort of thing where I know to this day, there's still Kings fans who are, who are salty about that. Not because their guy got caught very obviously breaking a rule, but because Montreal actually uh, used a rule that was in the rule book against them. So I, I don't know that I I put that up there. I'm sure that's probably number one on the all time list of plays that uh, mistakes that guys would like a do over on because it was very avoidable. Uh, and a lot of players back then had the the regular sticks, and then they had the the legal sticks that they would break out in overtime or in the final minutes. And, and apparently Martin McSorley didn't even have that. They were just all, uh, they were, they were all illegal, but I don't know if that was so much a brain cramp as a guy just doing what everybody else was doing in that era and largely still do today. So I, I want to talk about something we've uh, mentioned on the podcast, Sean, uh, a couple of weeks ago when uh, the, the Penguins had their uh, opening, the vacancy as general manager and immediately Ron Hextall's name came up and we, you you know you said this this would be an all timer in terms of imagine a a guy an all time Philadelphia Flyer is now running the Penguins and sure enough and then Brian Burke was a an ad, a nice added bonus here for the hockey world to mm-hmm. to get Berkey back in in that type of platform so I mean first of all the double hiring there Brian Burke and uh, and Ron Hextall do the Pittsburgh Penguins suddenly become a very compelling, entertaining front office right now. Like that, that might be Absolutely. top of the list. At, right to the top of the power rankings. And, and I mean, that's it, Brian Burke on his own. I mean, like, I, I've said this in a couple of different places. I don't know if this is going to work for Pittsburgh. I don't know if I'm a Penguins fan, if I'm excited that Brian Burke is the guy in charge. But just as a hockey fan, the NHL is so much more fun when Brian Burke is prominently involved uh, in, in running a team somewhere. This guy is just one of the, the great characters in the game, the, the great uh, just sound bites and, and everything. And the fact that he's back there, I, I thought he was, he was doing fine in his media role. I, 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 I was enjoying the work that he was doing with Sportsnet. But I want this guy doing press conferences after a playoff game. I want this guy breaking down moves and and throwing those sound bites out there. And the fact that you put him with Ron Hextel uh, is uh, just uh, put them on any team 
and it's going to be a great combo. Put them on a Pittsburgh Penguins team facing all the tough decisions and with all the big personalities and history and everything there. Merrill Lemieux is your owner. Uh, it's going to be great. I, I'm I'm grabbing the popcorn and I'm I'm ready to go because uh, this is this is just as a fan who is neutral when it comes to the Penguins. This is going to be phenomenal entertainment. Yeah, and you know it, it's amazing because. Hextall goes to, look, we talked about Jason Spezza earlier, kind of uh, flipping sides in the Battle of Ontario, but not really having that same feel of, uh, you know, a rival switching sides. Ron Hextall going to Pittsburgh, to me, might be at the top of the list of a guy, um, you know, doing a switch. And and it got me thinking, like, how many times have we ever seen this in hockey, Sean? And I thought, okay, well, right off the top of my head, Brian Trottier, who is an all-time Islander. I know he ended up with the Penguins, but, you know, you think of, uh, he might be the the best player in Islanders history. And he coaches the New York Rangers and then does it for like 50 some odd games. Doesn't even last a season, right? So like to me, that's the all-time kind of gold standard in hockey of a player involved in a heated rivalry that kind of did a switch at some point later on in his in his post-playing career. I, do we put Ken Dryden, like Ken Dryden going to kind of run the Maple Leafs I don't know. Like, yeah, it's it doesn't quite work, does it? No, it. I mean, it, that one is probably up there among the biggest of like. Okay, there's a rivalry between the teams, and one guy's associated with with the one team. But I, I don't think, and this was before my time, but I don't think there's that many Leaf fans that hated Ken Dryden. I mean, by the time Ken Dryden was in in Montreal in the '70s, that Montreal team was so good. And that Leafs team most years was so bad that it was a rivalry in name only and in history. But this this wasn't a case where you can't point to a single game and be like, oh, man, as a Leafs fan, that time Ken Dryden stole that game. Boy, that drove me crazy because uh, we were so close to beating Montreal. No, you weren't. You never were. Not in the 70s. Nobody was. So uh, I, I don't feel like when Ken Dryden came on, it was sort of an oddity, but it wasn't like, oh, man, this uh, this guy, we've all got these bad feelings um, and there's not a lot of other examples. Like you see it with players sometimes. Like there's there's more examples of that. Gila Fleur going to the Nordiques would be would be an obvious one. Um, but in the front office, there's really not. It it does suggest that uh, a lot of teams are looking at this stuff and and can't get over uh, some of this. And and I think Trache is the best one because Trache that Islanders Rangers rivalry that was when it was born was it during that dynasty. Um, and, uh, you know, as short of Denny Potvin, I'm not sure there's anybody that you could have brought into the Rangers organization that, uh, that they would have had the bad feelings about. And, uh, the fact that it didn't last very long, like you said, is, is sort of the, the cherry on top of it, because, um, I, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be a Rangers fan and see this guy that not that long ago, this wasn't Ken Dryden where you're going back 30 years. This was, you know, in the last decade, we hated this guy and now he's behind our bench that would be tough to get over. So if you're Ron Hextall and I guess to some extent Brian Burke, Sean, and you're sitting in those chairs in Pittsburgh, like you have to hit the ground running here. There's not like, okay, let's take kind of six months and assess the situation. Like to me, there's a, a there's a touch of immediacy in Pittsburgh. Like, and that's what happens when you have Crosby and Malkin on your roster. Now, it, it, the question I want to ask is if you're sitting in Hextall and Burke's chairs, what do you do with Evgeny Malkin, Sean? This guy is going to be 35 years old in July. He's got another year left on his deal at nine and a half million. This is the first time, like even last year, you look at his numbers. He was 74 points in 55 games last year. This guy mm-hmm. is a Hall of Famer. He's produced at a Hall of Famer's clip. This year, a little bit of a flat start, six points in 11 games. Like, what do you do? If you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, what do you do with Evgeny Malkin? It's it's a great question because he has has not been good this year. But like you said, he was very, very good last year. I, I think the first thing you do is you don't panic. You don't let yourself get pushed into a situation where you do something or even say something that is going to put this issue on the front burner. You, you've got uh, You've got time, not a lot of time, but you've got time left on this contract. Uh, you're not going to be able to move a guy like that during the season, even if you wanted to. It's it's with in a hard cap league, it's very hard to to make that big of a move. If anyone can do it, maybe it's Brian Burke because because he loves those to take those big swings on trades. But I can't see I can't see that. So what you do is you say, hey, th- this guy has been a great player for us for a long time. He was great last year. We believe he's going to get back to that level. 
And hey, by the way, we can't even talk extension with him until the offseason anyway. So it, it it's a moot point. We're going to let him sort it out. We're going to get him back on track. Um, and, uh, and then you hope that he gets back on track and has the sort of season you expect him to have. If he doesn't, that's when things get tricky because you go into the offseason and now he's and, and his his agents are coming to you saying on July 1st or whatever the, the calendar equivalent to July 1st is going to be this year, uh, you can sign an extension. Do they come to you and say, we we want a deal? I would be hesitant if, if Getty Malkin has had a tough season to put pen to paper on a big, long extension on a guy who's going to be in his mid-30s. Um, on that first day, I, I would be willing to go into the season even and say, uh, let's go into the last year of the deal and just see how it works out. Uh, you've, you've built up a relationship with this player. Hopefully there you've, you've got some credibility on, on both sides. Uh, I don't think this should be something we're going in the last year of a deal is, is some sort of awful distraction for the team. Uh, maybe it is, but I don't want to get locked in on long-term deals to guys who are going to be into their late thirties unless they're playing at a level that that warrants that. And Evgeny Malkin might be by the time that decision comes around. Um, but if not, keep your options open. At that point, maybe in the offseason, maybe you do look at a trade. Or maybe you do say, you know, this this is a situation where next year, if we're not very good, maybe Malkin's a piece that we move during the season, later in the season, around a trade deadline sort of scenario. We can keep some salary and get prospects and assets back. Uh, keep your options open would be would be my advice. Don't say or do anything that's going to to get people thinking that you're leaning one way or another, another uh, and uh, and go into the offseason with an open mind and don't let yourself get pressured into signing an extension just to get it out of the way that you're going to immediately or or in not very long end up regretting. Uh, you know, I you used the phrase earlier when we said the Brian Burke and Ron Hextall were taking over in Pittsburgh. Yeah, get your popcorn ready for them because there's going to be entertainment. That's been the feeling in Columbus in the past week, Sean, where our uh, Aaron Ports line has been a busy, busy man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last week, when you consider in the span of about, I think, 72 or 96 hours, there was the replay controversy with the Canes. There was John Tortorella. Oh, by the way, we're going to just go ahead and bench Patrick Laine. And then, uh, you know, Miko Koivu retires. Like, Like, those are the types of stories that each one on their own in a vacuum would be probably great for a week's worth of uh, fodder, and yet uh, it was back-to-back-to-back in Columbus. What is going on there? Why is every story in the NHL coming out of Columbus these days? Doesn't it feel like, you know, poor Columbus fans, for 20 years, they're the forgotten team that nobody mentions, nobody talks about, and you can just picture some poor Blue Jackets fan wishing to the hockey (laughs) gods that, you know, please let Columbus be the center of attention, and it's like a monkey paw situation where uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, look, I mean, some of this is, is just coincidence and bad luck. I mean, when having, having that, uh, that call and the, the whole breakdown that went with that go against them, that, that could have been any team, but some of this is self-inflicted and, and some of this is the John Tortorella factor. I mean, this is, uh, a guy who, uh, conflict has followed him. Uh, I think would be a polite way to say it, uh, throughout <laughs> his career. We, we all know. Uh, you know, who this guy is at this point. He's not somebody who uh, uh, necessarily keeps his emotions to himself. He's he's not a guy who always uh, chooses his words carefully, or maybe he does. And maybe this is this is all very intentional on his part, the, these controversies that he's always stirring up, whether it's the media or player or whoever. Uh, maybe it's very thought out, and, and he just feels like this is the best way to to lead his club. But certainly when you, when you look at Patrick Liney's situation, this is a, a case where a new player has come in. He's come in in a trade for a guy that wanted to leave. And they're, they're, whether it's true or not, whatever people say, there's whenever a player says, I want out, people are always going to look at the coach and the management and say, was, was that a factor? You make the trade, a new guy comes in, a lot of us went, oh, we got to see how this works out. And within two weeks, you already have another situation brewing where he's not just being disciplined, but being disciplined by being benched, which is the most public way that you can do it. There are ways that you can discipline players that we as fans or the media will never find out about. Uh, To do it, to choose to do it during a game in a public way where you know the questions are going to come. Look, again, John Tortorella is a smart guy. This might all be very calculated. And this might be something where we look back and go, yeah, that was exactly the right move. Uh, I'm sure he's doing it because he thinks it's the right thing for the team, but 
man, there, there has got to be a point where if you're a Columbus fan now, you're kind of like, it would be nice to go a week without any headlines. It would be nice to go a week where we're yeah. just talking about wins and losses and not the latest John Tortorella soundbite or thing that he said or, and, and because that's what people are going to talk about. And John Tortorella can show up after the game and tell the media, don't ask questions about this, all that he wants. It is a story. And it's a story that people are going to wonder about and talk about uh, whether he likes it or not. Um, and you just kind of sit there and go, all right, now, now what, what's going to be next with this team? Yeah. Hey, listen, what's next for us is Jesse Granger. But before we get to uh, Jesse Granger, I want to, I don't know if I've ever told you the story, Sean, at the time, like I, I, I had the wrath of John Tortorella in a scrum and this would have been like, so John would have been coaching the Rangers at this point, uh, you know, whatever, seven, eight years ago. And Mm -hmm. I started asking him a question about the stand. So it's a scrum. And I started asking him a question about the standings. Like, John, when you look at the standings, and he's like, no. I'm like, okay, when you no, don't ask me about the standings. Don't ask me about the standings. And he gets really angry with me. And I'm like, oh, geez, okay. I didn't, didn't realize this was like a trigger word for you with standings, right? Yeah. So it's awkward. And, you know, I had to rephrase it. And he short answered me. And the scrum ends. And I walk away. And he comes up behind me, puts his arm on me. He goes, sorry. Sorry about that, man. I just, God, I... God, I hate questions about the standings. And he walks away. And I'm like, who? imagine being a coach in the NHL and you're like, don't ask me about the standings. Yeah. Like, but, but it was the weirdest thing. And it was almost, you know, the, the Seinfeld episode where you got to order the soup in the right way. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, if you don't order mm-hmm. the soup in the right way. That's how it was it's like with Tortorella. That's like asking him a question. You have to phrase it just right. But I, I, have, I don't know. In a weird way, I have a ton of respect for him because at least like, he pulled me aside. And he's like, sorry. Like you, yeah, you triggered me there. But it was just yeah. the, the most random thing. Uh, I know. I mean, I don't have a lot of time for the John Tortorella media act. And I understand. I'll, I'll put the disclaimer. I, I understand nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear this because I'm in the media. And it's it's like, yeah, of course, you guys don't want to get yelled at. But that just I, I, you've never told me that story before. But I, I know every time he does one of these meltdowns, whether it's the short press conferences or it's the Brooksy or whatever it is. There's people who go, you know, he's not really like that. He's putting on an act. He's playing a character. Yeah, but you're still doing it. And there is a part of me that says, you know, if you're going to bark at a guy in front of all of his colleagues and then privately say, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I don't, uh, I'm, I'm not a big, big fan of this stuff. I, I think with John Tortorella, there is probably at this point, John Tortorella, the guy, and then John Tortorella, the character that he sort of plays with the media. And again, it might be calculated. It might be the sort of thing where he he's thought this through. And uh, I'm not saying that the guy's a jerk. I'm just saying he plays a jerk on TV an awful lot and it gets old at some point. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Sean, we'll move over to a little Granger things with our pal Jesse Granger joining us from Las Vegas. A reminder that uh, all of our, um, you know, betting related uh, coverage here at The Athletic brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with The Athletic. How is Jesse Granger on this Thursday? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, that that Super Bowl was was a wild one, and and <laughs> the conversation we had last week was a good one to precede it. Well, exactly. I mean, we talked about Jesse the uh, the, the prop bet of Tom Brady touchdowns versus Alexander Ovechkin points, and that one ended up being a pretty interesting. The way that that played out was pretty interesting with the way Ovechkin had the afternoon against the Flyers. Right, and I, of course, I came on here and I said to everyone, he's only scored three or more points in 6% of his career games, and 
that of course means he's going to go off on Sunday. And he did. Um, I think he had three points before the halfway point in the game. Um, he ended up with two goals, two assists for four points. And everyone on Twitter let me know. But Brady almost came through. Um, even despite Ovechkin's monster game, Brady throws three touchdowns in the first half. I honestly, after that, at halftime, I was feeling pretty good. Um, <laughs> I didn't bet that that prop bet. But I think anyone who did was probably feeling good with those three touchdowns in the first half by Brady. But um, he didn't throw another one in the second half. So Ovechkin ended up winning that bet at a plus 200 underdog for those who bet it. I, I just yeah. got to say, because we we all said we were on on the Brady side of that bet. And there was so much trash talk on Twitter uh, <laughs> when Ovechkin had the four points and, that I briefly found myself during the Super Bowl rooting for Tom Brady to throw two more touchdowns. And I will never forgive all of you for putting that thought in my head that I was rooting for Tom Brady to do even better in a Super Bowl than he was already doing. See, betting, betting does crazy things to people, doesn't it? It makes you, it, it, it makes restrained bedfellows. You're right. I, I, I'm with you. I don't know that I, if I could get around to, to cheer for Tom Brady. Before we get into a couple of lines, Jesse, with you, a quick question on the team that you cover as well for a uh, regular basis, that being the Vegas Golden Knights off to a terrific start. Um, Who's the number one goalie there right now? Like, if they had a must-win game tonight, is it Robin Leonard or Marc-Andre Fleury? That is a tough question to answer. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury has been, I mean, I think pretty clearly the better goalie um, through, but they've only played 10 games. They've played five each, and they've split them one and one each game. And Marc-Andre Fleury's clearly been the better goalie this season. But at the same time, Peter DeBoer showed us last year during the playoffs and after they acquired Robin Leonard that maybe that's his style of goalie. Um, I think Pete DeBoer, just the analytical style of hockey he likes to play the possession style he likes a blocking goalie who's maybe a little more consistent and not as um he, he letter may not have the highs that flurry does but he also may not have the lows but yeah so far this season i think they'd have to go with flurry just based on form he has been spectacular he's five and oh um he just finally allowed two goals at, or more than two goals in a game for the first time ever in their last game so he's been he's been awesome but but this team has two really good goalies and i think this competition is probably going to be close throughout the season. Let, let me throw something at both of you as well as we were talking about Marc-Andre Fleury. Sean, now let me start with you. We just talked about Ron Hextall, Brian Burke taking over in Pittsburgh. The goaltending's been pretty bad. Tristan Jari, Casey DeSmith, the save percentage like in the 800s. If you're Pittsburgh, Sean, do you, do you kick the tires of bringing Marc-Andre Fleury back? I think we all expected that to happen in the offseason, and, and for whatever reason, it, it didn't. Again, tough deal to make in the middle of a season with with cap problems, but certainly when you look at how that situation has gone for both sides, as bad as the goaltending has been in Pittsburgh, uh, as good as Marc-Andre Fleury has been after an off year last year, he looks like he's back to to his old self. Boy, you talk about new management coming in. You want to make a move that's going to be popular. Uh, You bring Marc-Andre Fleury back to Pittsburgh. This is a guy who's I, I can't think of too many guys who ever left the team and were still as beloved as he seems to be with those Penguin fans. Uh, it it feels like there's a lot of different pieces falling into place to to make this something that can happen. And when it comes to the salary, uh, you can get creative. I'm sure there's a way to work it out. Just to to chime in, I think this I think that conversation of kicking the tires on Marc Andre Fleury has gone from. I think early in the offseason, if you would have called Kelly McCrimmon and said, hey, we're interested in Marc-Andre Fleury, it's like, okay, how do we get this deal done? Let's let's set this up. And now I think it's become, you know what, maybe maybe call me back in a couple weeks because if Robin Leonard, like he struggled through five games and, and I don't expect him to struggle for the entire season, but if that continues, I don't see how the Golden Knights could possibly justify trading a Hall of Fame goalie that's clearly the better goalie on the team right now um, when you're expecting to win a Stanley Cup. So I, I think that maybe the Golden Knights eagerness to trade Flurry has cooled a little bit based on how the two goalies have played through through 10 games. Yeah, that, that's that's a good point. Just one other thing to throw out there, though, you look at Brian Burke's history as a GM. What's been his kryptonite? What's been the one thing every place that he's gone, not having the goalie? Famously in Vancouver, you look in Toronto, not being able to make that move for the goaltender. You got to think if you're, if you're looking for a motivated buyer, uh, and the Penguins might be that right now. Yeah, no, I, I think that's going to be a fascinating, and I mean, imagine Ron Hextall's first significant move is bringing a goalie uh, in to save the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think it would be dripping with irony and, and intrigue. So it would be a lot of fun. So Jesse, every week when we get you on here for Granger Things, we love talking uh, some of the betting lines going on in the National Hockey League as we're looking at trends. So let's uh, let's start with a little over-under here, and we'll start with the teams that are uh, consistently maybe putting the puck in the net and uh, or maybe they're allowing the goals, but are consistently going over in the games that they're playing in. 
Right. That's the great thing about betting totals is it you're almost betting the the feel for the game rather than who which team is actually going to show up. And and sometimes it can be more consistent um, to bet the totals than the sides. And so I so I went through and I looked at the top three teams that have gone over the total the most. And number one, the team we just have talked about quite a bit, Vegas Golden Knights. They have gone over in eight of their 10 games so far, an 80% over hit percentage. Um, and it's actually strange because we just talked about how good the goaltending has been, and they haven't allowed many goals this season, but the Golden Knights have been scoring enough to overcome that um, regardless. So obviously Mark Stone has been having a phenomenal year. He's got 15 points in 10 games. Max Petch ready leads the team in goals, and this offense has been really scoring. They have eight totals or sorry eight overs when the total is usually six goals for this team they're averaging 6.2 goals per game so what that tells me is yes they've gone over the total eight times but maybe not a surefire over going forward despite that it seems like they're just barely eking out those overs each time whereas you go down to the second team on this list Washington Capitals they've gone over 79 percent of their games almost the same they've gone over nine in in nine of their 12 games but there's Games have had an average of 7.16 goals per game, which is the highest in the entire NHL. They've given up 43 goals, and they've scored 43 goals. The Capitals are an offensive machine, and right now that blue line has been chipping in on on, on offense, not so much in their own end. Um, and they, they probably haven't gotten the goaltending that they expected to out of Ilya Samsonov to this point in the season. Um, again, it's early. I don't think we want to write the kid off, but he, he hasn't been as good as they probably hoped he would be when they let Holtby go. Um, so they've been an over machine. And then finally, the, the last team on this list, the one that intrigued me the most was the Los Angeles Kings, because since I've been watching hockey, this has been a grind it team. Like when they won those Stanley Cups, I think they ranked 27th and 29th in offense those two years. Um, this team has not scored goals or given up goals for a long, long time. And Gone are those days. This is a younger, faster Kings team that is not nearly as buttoned up in its defensive end, and Jonathan Quick is not nearly as capable of bailing them out as he used to be. So there, the Kings games have gone over in nine of their 14 games so far. Um, it's been fun to watch. I've been catching a lot of their games just out here on the West Coast. So a team that maybe betters aren't expecting to go over, and the totals have been five and a half for these guys. So it's like, the market hasn't caught up. You're getting a better line than whereas like the Capitals and the Golden Knights, the total is going to be six, maybe six and a half every night. The Kings, you can get a five and a half here and there just because I think it's their history of being a low scoring team and the fact that they're not good. So a lot of te people don't bet the over on them. Um, you look at the other side, which teams are going under the most. The number one team doesn't surprise anyone. The New York Islanders. Um, that's Barry Trotz. <laughs> that is this defensive system that doesn't allow goals. Um, it helps. When your goalie is playing as well as Varlamov is back there, he's already got three shutouts this season, leads the NHL. Um, but again, he doesn't have a huge workload because that team plays so well structured defensively. They're only there. I, I told you that the Capitals have 7.16 goals per game in their games. The New York Islanders have 4.73 goals per game, which is absolutely insane. But basically what you'd expect. Um, and then the other two teams that have gone under the most are two teams that I think people would kind of expect, and that's Detroit Red Wings and the Anaheim Ducks. And both cases, it is teams that simply cannot put the puck in the net. Um, the Red Wings maybe do surprise some people because they aren't giving up six goals a night like they were last year. They've, they've played a little better defense. They've gotten a little better goaltending. Thomas Grice, I think, I think it's been 468 days. I've been following the guys in Detroit. They've been keeping the streak. Um, no goalie other than Jonathan Bernier had won a game in Detroit in 468 days. He finally broke that streak, but they're still going under the total. Um, four out of their 14 games, they've gone under the total. Same for the Ducks, four out of their 14 games. Um, the Ducks, on the other hand, have a phenomenal goalie back there in Jod Gibson, who is somehow has a 918 save percentage despite facing, I think, the seventh highest danger chances in the league. I mean, they their defense isn't great, but their defensive numbers are decent because John Gibson's back there bailing them out. So uh, Ducks, Red Wings, and Islanders, if, you, if you're going to bet the unders, Golden Knights, Capitals, and Los Angeles Kings, surprisingly, if you're going to bet the overs this year. Uh, as we wrap up with you here, Jesse, I just want to go around the horn. And uh, again, I don't know if at some point you're going to be able to, to wager on this, but uh, uh, Sean, maybe I'll start with you on this. What are the odds you think every team in the National Hockey League gets to the 56-game mark this season. If you had to put down some money or make a, you know, an educated guess or a bet here, Sean, what do you think uh, the chances are of all 31 teams getting to 56 regular season games? After the last week, I think every team getting to 56 has moved into the underdog column, uh, and I don't know exactly what those odds would look like, but I, I think they're, they're trending uh, – 
uh, more and more towards the fact that we all got to get used to looking at that points percentage column in the standings because I I do not at this point uh, think that we're going to be able to make up uh, all the games that we're going to need to make up, even with some time built in at the end of the season. I I, I just don't see it. And uh, as as long as everyone's got a decent chunk of games and, and we're close enough, go to points percentage, work the playoffs that way. That's good enough. And and I think we we all got to start getting our heads around that now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And <laughs> obviously, I think I might be a little biased just because the team I'm covering has, has dealt with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they just... Two days ago, they finally got Alex Petrangelo off that COVID protocol list. That was their first day without anyone on there in a while. And that day, Tomasz Nosek gets pulled out of the game after two periods uh, with a positive test. They are supposedly going on with the game tonight. I am going to be heading to morning skate when I get out of here with you guys. We'll see if that game continues. But I, you, you mentioned, Ian, like, will this be something you could bet on? It's been fun watching this the this sports betting landscape change as someone in Vegas who's kind of been around it for years. Um, now that it's going nationally and like in New Jersey and these places are are legalizing it and it's becoming a more mainstream thing, we're seeing bets that used to be only available on offshore books that are now available in actual legitimate sports books like BetMGM. Like for example, the Gatorade thing. We we joke about in the Super Bowl the color of the Gatorade. That used to be a bet you could only make in some offshore book. Who knows if you're getting paid after when you win that bet? Like it's you're rolling the dice on it. Now, you see, like that was a widely available bet at pretty much any sports book you could find in the country. Um so yes, I do think bets like that and and kind of strange bets that aren't exactly having to do with specifically the games uh, are going to become more and more available. And, and that's great news. Well, listen, Jesse, as always, we appreciate the, uh, the visits with you on Thursdays. Uh, uh, fingers crossed. Everything goes smoothly uh, for the golden Knights in the week ahead. And we'll get you again next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks Jesse. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Tell you what, Sean, I had the chuckle when uh, when Jesse says, you know, as long as I've been watching the Kings since 2012, like these younger guys that come in. For us, when you're watching, when well, I think my earliest memories of the Kings, I'm thinking the purple and yellow jerseys, yep. Luke Robitaille and Jimmy Carson. What did they have, Was it Goldust Twins or something? What was their nickname? Do you remember oh, I don't, I, Was it no, Goldust Twins? No, I don't remember Twins? that. They, uh, but I don't remember that one. I remember the bruised banana <laughs> uniforms. And for me... Uh, you know, where I was in, uh, in Toronto, seeing those uniforms, I can, I can hear my parents telling me, go to bed. You're not allowed to stay up. It's 1130. You can't watch the second hockey night in Canada game. The Oilers are already winning six to nothing. It's halfway through the first period. Yeah. Go to bed. And then, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a, and I only think of that. And because you and I, again, same age, the Rock'em Sock'em videos. And there's one where like, uh, was it Phil Sykes is fighting Wayne Gretzky? Yes. And he's with the Kings, right? Like that's yeah. my that's my earliest memory of the, yeah. of the LA Kings. 
I, I think I think for me it's it's right up there. It's that, and then the other one, and this was another Rock and Sockum classic: the the live chicken being thrown on the ice. Uh, oh, a chicken yeah. wearing a purple cape that gets tossed onto the ice. Uh, a live chicken, by the way. Like we're we're not talking like a supermarket package of chicken. Like somebody throws a live chicken right. onto the ice during a game, uh, and the game goes on for like a minute. Yeah, forty five seconds. Whistle or it right? down. Yeah. yeah. These days, like anything happens, they say, okay, let's all stop and get organized. There's yeah. a live chicken on the ice and for for so long, and they they, they don't uh, they don't whistle it down. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that was back in the days before the Gretzky trade. It, that was there was the miracle on Manchester, a chicken on the ice, and that was pretty much it as far as uh, as far as Kings highlights go. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, when uh, when the least when somebody threw the waffle on the ice, the wa- like wa- like did, did the game stop? I, I have no recollection. To remember if that if that happened during a stoppage uh, or if it happened during an actual game, and I I don't remember that one. That, but uh, yeah, that that's definitely up there as as far as the uh, the dumbest <laughs> items thrown on the ice. Yeah. This this stupidly, it's the only league where you could say the phrase "chicken and waffles," and instead of breakfast, people think about dumb things being thrown yeah. onto the ice uh, during games. Oh, exactly. All right. Hey, let's get to the uh, the uh, the uh, the mailbag here. A reminder: you can reach us at the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. That's the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. We also want to invite you. Uh, we'd love to hear your voice, your actual voice. We'd love to hear it. Uh, drop us a voicemail. We got a, a answering machine set up. And you can leave us a voicemail, and we will answer your question uh, gladly in this space. The voicemail number for you: it's eight four five. 445 845-445-8459. We would love to hear from you. i got a couple of emails here for us to tackle, Sean. This one comes in from Matthew, who says, Hey guys, uh, do you think some point later this season we'll see some gamesmanship from teams with waiver claims? For example, let's say the Habs have Corey Perry. Do you think a team like Toronto would make a claim on him late in the year if the Habs try and put him through waivers to shuffle him back and forth to the taxi squad. That comes in from Matthew. So that would be, man, Corey Perry, Jason Spezza, Wayne Simmons. Uh, yeah, that'd be quite. Yeah, fun. it's yeah that yeah that would be that would be a fun one. Uh, in theory, yes, there should be some circumstances where you would see this. And obviously, everybody's tight against the cap. Everybody's trying to save that cap room so they can make moves at the deadline. So you're you're not going to see teams just going crazy on this and. And I do think that even though this is supposed to be a cutthroat league and you're supposed to be doing everything you can to win, I, I think some teams are going to say, look, if, we're not gonna, if we don't want to use a guy, let's not go and claim a guy and disrupt his life and make him move across a country or a continent in the middle of a pandemic just so we can play games. But, I mean, you mentioned the Corey Perry example. Corey Perry's playing pretty well. If they try to sneak him back through, then, yeah, some other team might want to grab him. Uh, you know, we saw the Jason Spezza thing, which was interesting because Spezza basically said, when he was waived earlier this year, if you claim me, I will retire. And so, of course, nobody was going to do that. But that was before he was, you know, the top 50 or 60 in scoring in the NHL. Maybe now somebody says, you know what, let's call his bluff and and see what we can do. Or or maybe let's claim a guy and then say, oh, did you really need that guy? Well, I'll flip him back to you for a sixth or seventh round pick. And, uh, you know, let, let's see how that goes. Um yeah, in theory, that should happen. In theory, we should also have offer sheets in this league. So we'll have to see if uh, if these GMs really want to play to win or not. But it's it's an interesting scenario, especially this year, given how much movement we've seen with uh, with teams with this new taxi squad element having to having to pass guys through waivers uh, as often as as they do. And by the way, uh, remember that day where everybody was going through waivers at the beginning of the season. That was 30 yeah. days ago. So we should expect pretty soon that that waiver is going to, that, that's going to expire. Uh, we're going to see probably a lot of action uh, late this week. And uh, maybe that'll be when, when we see exactly that sort of game, some shit start to start to break out. Uh, DJ Nightingale also has emailed us again to the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. DJ, thanks for the note. Uh, writes in, Hey guys, trying to figure something out. Why have the COVID outbreaks only been occurring in U.S. cities and affecting U.S. teams and not the Canadian cities? Is there anything Canada is doing differently or better than uh, the United States? That's from DJ. And look, the one thing I think we want to be careful, like we don't want to get on some sort of high horse here and make it seem like, oh, I can't believe what you're doing down there. But there's, listen, there's obviously some differences. In fact, I had a good conversation uh, with Anthony Duclair 
uh, yesterday for something I'm hoping to, to, to put together for The Athletic next week. And one of the things Anthony told me, uh, just as we were chatting to start the interview, he's like, everything is open here. He's like, everything is open in Florida. He's like, it's, it's as if there's nothing going on. And you juxtapose that with, I mean, the city where you and I live, uh, Sean, if for people who don't know, we live in Ottawa. And it is a ghost town right now. The only mm. things that are open as we speak right now are grocery stores, and the schools have just kind of reopened, but that's it. It's a ghost town. And so I guess that there is an element of that uh, that could be a factor, but it is remarkable to think that you look at the situation, the COVID has not affected the NHL in Canada yet, but we're not naive enough to think that it won't happen or couldn't happen in the next few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the number one answer to the question is good luck, uh, that it, it, we, there, there's been some good luck here that we haven't seen an outbreak in Canada yet, uh, as far as the NHL and uh, but uh, and as you say, there are reasons for that. The, the the whole shutdown thing, the whole wear your mask, be considerate, is is less of a political uh, uh, situation here than it is down south for a variety of reasons. But at the same time, you know, we're also, we've been slower on the vaccines and the cold weather lasts longer here. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if in a month we might be saying, wow, isn't it crazy that all the outbreaks are in Canada and none of them are down in the, in the U.S. divisions? It's uh, it, it's the sort of thing where, you know, hey, great great news that so far it hasn't been an issue. But uh, I, I think the word you used was naive. You, you would have to be naive to think that's going to continue all season long. I'd be very surprised if it does. All right, as we uh, wrap up every show, we do a little This Week in Hockey History. So let's uh, uh, kind of delve into this to wrap up the show. I want to ask you about one or oh, two things, but first of all, February 13th, 1999, Maple Leaf Gardens hosted its final game ever. And I would think as a young Leafs fan growing up, that must have been the greatest thing for you would be if you got tickets to a Leafs game. I don't know, they were historically bad there in the 80s, or whatever. That must have been so cool that that was the building you got to grow up watching hockey games and probably get a chance to go to a handful of them yourself. Yeah, it, it was it was amazing. And I mean, I, I grew up in the era where, you know, even back then, it was very, very tough to get tickets to a Leaf game. And so what would happen is the company my dad worked for had season's tickets, and he would get one pair of tickets a year. And it was usually around Christmas time. It would, it would show up in my stocking, and we would get to go to the gardens. And it was just a huge thrill. I mean, I remember, I remember taking the subway down. I remember the murals on the subway. I remember going out onto the, the street and walking down. And the, yeah. sometimes we'd go have dinner at the golden griddle across the street. And, and then you go up those, those skinny escalators. And, uh, it, it was just, uh, it was such a phenomenal old building. And it's part of the reason, like I, growing up as a hockey fan in that building, I can't get into these new buildings where they all feel the same and they all feel, you know, there's all the ads and everything around. And, and it makes me feel like a cranky old guy because these buildings are objectively better fan experiences than the gardens where, I mean, it, you watch those old highlights of the 1980s Leafs games and something happens and a fan stands up and it blocks the camera. Like the Hockey Night yeah. Canada can't show anymore because Gus in the front row decided to stand up and that just blew their whole plan. Uh, but I, yeah, I did. I, I loved the garden so much and it was... Uh, um, it, it it was a sad sad day when it closed and a sad game too because it was uh, they got they got blown out by the uh, by the Blackhawks that night I can still remember and that the great trivia question of all the legends who ever played in Maple Leaf Gardens who scored the last goal uh, in Maple Leaf Gardens history was it Bob Probert it was Bob Probert yeah of all, I thought uh, so and, yeah and and the other and the other thing that i do remember and I, and i think this was something that that was done on purpose but do you remember who took the face off for the blackhawks that night the, the last opening night face off uh in maple leaf gardens history the blackhawks sent out Doug Gilmore who was doing his you know that was back when he was playing two weeks for every team in the entire yeah. league and he happened to be on the the, the yeah. hawks and so he yeah was, guys he was guys drop the puck i got to be in buffalo <laughs> exactly uh, in, exactly yeah. or maybe it's jersey i don't know i'm going somewhere hey, hey do you know who scored the last goal you'll love this you know who scored the last goal at the Forum in Montreal? No, I don't. This is this is better than Probert because you think about the storied history of the Montreal Forum. I believe it was Andre Kovalenko. Oh my! <laughs> so <laughs> I think I think that trumps. Uh, I think that trumps yeah. uh, that one. 
Um, all right, but the one I wanted to finish up with uh, this week in hockey history, February the 10th, 1993. Sean, the Calgary Flames absolutely waxed the San Jose Sharks 13-1. to As you look at the box score, the one thing that jumps out at you, Theo Fleury was a plus nine in a single game. Theo Fleury plus nine. That was, okay, so, I mean, first of all, clearly that Sharks team, was all time bad. That was that was the Sharks' second year, but the, those first two years they were so terrible. And <laughs> I mean, just before you even get to Flurry, just the score thirteen to one. Can you imagine a thirteen to one game today? What would happen, uh, Sean? I, I covered the Senators. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So maybe we're we might be prepping you for the inevitable. But I mean, if a team loses seven to two these days, it's like we have to have a, a commission and some soul searching and figure out what happened. Thirteen to one, uh, and and yeah, back then we were like, yeah, that's that sounds like a Sharks game, all right, because it was, uh, uh, and and I mean they they didn't even take the the foot off the gas. But six of those goals came in the third period. Uh, Doug Wilson of all people is a minus seven on that game. So that's, uh, you want to, you want to talk about having a rough one and, and Theo Fleury, yeah, plus nine all time NHL record for a forward. Uh, that's, that's, uh, the, the highest plus minus for a single game by a forward in NHL history, one off the, the all time record, which is held by Tom Bladen of all people who, who I wouldn't be surprised if, if many people listening to this don't even know who that is, is a defenseman in the seventies. Uh, had a plus 10 one night against the Cleveland Barons uh, to, to give you a sense of, of how lopsided that one was for the Flyers. Um, I, I don't want to ever say that there's such thing as an unbreakable record. I'm pretty sure we're never going to see another forward go plus nine in a single game ever again. Yeah, you know, for a little context, so I looked it up. So since the year 2000, if you're wondering, like, what's the highest plus minus for a player in, in this century – it's a combination. Sergey Gonchar and Ken Klee were both a wow. plus seven for the Washington Capitals in a beatdown of the Panthers in 2003. But they were That's, plus seven. I would not have. Uh, Ken Klee, boy, we could have named players for a long time before I would have got to Ken. Ken Klee. Ken Klee. And, and by the way, speaking of uh, players that you wouldn't expect uh, holding a record, the, the other thing from that, that Sharks game, 13 to 1 game, is it also established the all-time record for most points by a goaltender in a game. Three assists that night for Calgary Flames goaltender, of all people, when you think of all the great puck-handling goalies and offensive good, Ron Hextel. Is this Trefilov? Jeff Reese. Oh, Jeff Reese. That's right. is Is the only goaltender to ever have three assists in a game. Uh, that night against San Jose is the all-time single-game scoring leader among goaltenders, uh, and yeah, I, I, that is not a guy. And I, I don't even know if any of those came off passes. It may have just been the the the, the rare San Jose Shark shot. You make a save, we pass it up. Theo Fleury gets a breakaway, and uh, and it's a point on the board for the goaltender. But yeah, that's that's one of my favorite records that of of all the great offensive-minded goaltenders that that we've seen. Jeff Reese is the only guy to ever get the, the three points on a night. So he always comes back to X Leafs. Jeff Reese, Ken yep. Klee. So you see, uh, Flames fans really the the Gilmore trade. You really won the trade because you got, it's, you, you got the record breaker out of it. Um, I want to ask you to to to, to conclude the show. Theo Fleury is the single game record holder for two remarkable records. One being plus nine. The other is he's the only Ford, I believe, Sean, to get a shorthanded hat trick mm-hmm. in a game. What is the more unbreakable record? Or, or maybe a better way to phrase it is, if you could see one of those things happening, would it be a player getting a shorthanded Hattie or a plus nine? Because I'm really torn on this one. I think it's I think it's the shorthanded goals because we see them, but I don't know that we're ever going to see another guy get a shorthanded hat trick. Yeah, I, it's it would certainly be, if you're talking about a record being broken, so somebody would need four shorthanded goals, that would be... Uh... That would be almost impossible. I, I could see it, uh, you know, even especially if it got to a game. You know, you know how it could happen is these days with goalies being pulled early. You know, if 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 you're already killing a penalty and the other team pulls the goalie and you throw one down the ice, and, you know, that still counts as a shorthanded goal. 
maybe you could see it that way. The plus nine, I just can't see because I mean, you're you're looking at a situation where it would have to be a huge blowout. And these days, if teams shut it down when they're when they've got a lead like that, right? You, you know, you're good, but you staple them to the bench. You don't want to make the other team feel bad. You can't can't hurt anyone's feelings in this league. So. Uh, I think if I if I had to bet on seeing one of those records matched in my lifetime, it would be the shorthanded goals. But that's that's a tough one because uh, you, you, it's it's very rare to see anyone get two in a game, uh, let alone to finish off the hat trick that way. Yeah, I don't know that Theo Fleury gets enough credit for holding those uh, those two records. So, um, you know, it's, a, it's quite the feather in his cap. All right, we'll leave it there, Sean. Uh, this was fun. As always, enjoy uh, what should be a pretty interesting and compelling uh, Saturday night hockey game between the Habs uh, and the Maple Leafs. And, uh, oh, no, as I look ahead to the schedule, I see we got the Leafs and the Senators next week. So I can well, only imagine fun. how much fun that'll be for us. Coming up. Right? Hey, I, I look, I look forward to a Leaf going plus ten with four shorthanded goals in that game. And yeah, thirteen uh, to and, one. And we can be wrong on yeah. that one. Yeah, yeah, we set it all up. But hey, listen, enjoy the weekend. We'll get you again next uh, next Thursday. Right on. Talk to you then. All right, and uh, so for Sean, I'm Ian Meta saying thanks so much for listening to us. A reminder: you can always email us, uh, hit us up at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. We do want to remind you, as uh, I mentioned off the top, great interview with Jason Spezza on uh, the Athletic Hockey Podcast, Two Man Advantage, Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun. Check that out as well. And uh, I'll be back on Monday with Haley Salvian uh, to wrap up the weekend that was. And if you are not a subscriber to The Athletic, join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show.